I don't know how many of you are Marvel fans. Like one, okay, I, I expected like a couple like hoots or haulers, like, I mean, you guys raise your hand. I don't know if you're actual Marvel fans. Um, I don't know if I categorize myself as a Marvel fan, but I've watched a couple of the miniseries they've come out re- with recently on Disney+. Plus. Uh, most recently, I'm in the middle of WandaVision. Has anybody seen WandaVision yet? Okay, pretty good. Yeah, so we, we're jiving. This is good. Uh, for those of you who have not seen it, don't worry. I'll catch you up in about four minutes, and you may not want to or have to go see it. Um, but essentially what we have here is a TV series that plays after a number of movies that were created and shown from the Avengers. And who we have here is Wanda and Vision. It's a little bit of a different name, but very creative with the title, right? Wanda, Vision. Um, and Vision actually died. Like, like Vision, uh, in one of the Avengers, the most recent one, afterwards he dies. And it is for a good cause. But Wanda has certain abilities and powers to where she has brought Vision, the love of her life, back to life. But it is in a world that she has created. Wanda has essentially taken over a town called Westview. All of the people in this town look like they are living normal lives. They live in neighborhoods. They have jobs. They interact with one another. They have kids. All these different things going on. But what you start to notice episode after episode is these, these little glitches in the system. And you start noticing things like Wanda and Vision are having a conversation. And let's use, for example, this one time they get a puppy. And all of a sudden, they find out that they're having a puppy, and all of a sudden, the next-door neighbor pops in with a puppy crate. Like, hey, I looked through the kitchen window and heard you need a puppy crate. And Vision starts catching on to these things, like, how do you, how'd you know we have a puppy? And then little glitches start growing, and people start questioning things a little bit and asking Wanda, oh, do you want us to run it back if it was messed up a little bit? People start talking to Vision a little bit, and Vision starts finding out all these little glitches within this Westview city. And essentially what's happening is Wanda has brought people into this, call it a force field around the town, and is in every single person's mind. That they once had a life before this. They had a family, they had careers, they had friends, but now they find themselves essentially being mind-controlled. And Vision starts to catch on to this, and Vision wants to break free. So Vision pushes to the edge of the town and walks up to this massive force field that essentially consumes people and it predates them back to what's going on in Westview. And he starts to break out and he's forcefully pushing through. And as he's pushing through, his body is being torn back into the force field. As he steps outside, he is becoming more the dead person that he actually is. He falls to the ground dead. And what happens inside is Wanda finds out And Wanda goes to fix everything. Because what's happening is her experiment of controlling everyone is falling apart right in front of her own eyes. And she flies to the edge of town. She pushes out the force field and the FBI agents and everyone around there that's trying to help and fix things is just getting annihilated by basically being consumed into this force field, into this world which Wanda has created. But see, what's happening is that Wanda had a plan. Wanda had a plan to curate a life where she can have everything that she wants. She can have her husband again. She can have the love of her life. They can have the kids that they wanted to grow up. They can have the perfect little suburbia. Everything is going as planned. But then there become these problems with the plans that she has. 
Now, this isn't much different than 2,000 years ago. James wrote to an early church who had been dispersed. They had been kicked off out of their home. They'd been kicked off of their land. Their lives were being persecuted. Every plan that they may have had was now in upheaval. Their lives, as they knew it, are no longer. But James writes this to them. In verse, uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Can you think of anyone in your life that might be a Wanda? Anybody who, when something goes wrong, when something happens they did not plan for or a plan that they had falls apart, they essentially fall apart. They tend to lose all control and fallout just begins to happen because life is not going as planned. They begin to fight with people over their preferred vision. They see things one way, it should be this way, others need to do it this way. And I'm going to fight with people over that because this is the vision that I have. This is the way things should be. Here is what I need. This person is essentially against it. This person is fighting the vision that I have. So I need to fight against them because they are causing all the problems in the world. And they just have just disaster in their relationships. They are disasters socially. And honestly, oftentimes, they're disasters inwardly. Just everything is flowing from this inner place where they're just always disappointed and frustrated and just clamoring for control in their plan and the way things want it. Just a quick side note. James says here in verse 3, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. He's essentially saying in your life with God, in your prayer life, the things that you want, they're coming from the things, the plans that you have, the desires that you have. And for, for that reason, you do not get it. We've got a prayer course coming up this Wednesday that I would encourage you to check out because what happens is there's models for prayer. And I know for me, myself, I don't always know what to pray. And oftentimes, my prayers can be quite selfish. The disciples 2,000 years ago said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And he gave them a model of how to pray. So if you want a model for prayer where, where prayer will flow through you into others and you want to see the power of prayer, I encourage you to be there Wednesday night. James continues, verse 4, 5, 4, or chapter uh, 4, verses, um, oh my gosh, verses 4 and 5. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that the jealousy longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? See, there's this, there's this thing, and if we go back all the way, that our, our separation with God, where humanity has essentially broken away from life with God, it can be rooted in this belief that I am not a limited creature. I'm not dependent on a creator. I'm not just here for a short time whose job it is to actually find fulfillment in the one that created me. The truth that that I am the master of my own life. That, that we as people, if we just do enough good, if we do the right things, we can actually bring heaven 
here to earth. And that society would be perfect and that we would culturally just everything would work out and be amazing and that we can just control what we want to see happen. And this is ever growing. We live in a society in a modern modern world where technology in progress is flying at a rate that we have never seen before. And it tells us that we can do anything that we want to. We can control anything that we want to. We have the means to bring it about, to expect a good life, to, to, to try and curate a West view where everything is going as planned and I can kind of pull strings on people and see things happen the way that I think they should happen. Now, whether or not you could think of Wanda's in your own life, what about the Wanda within you? The desire to have maximum flexibility within your job while also having maximum security. Essentially being able to work whenever you want, however you want, while also still being able to pad a 401k. Enough social activism and reposting. If we just keep doing that the right way, then the hearts of oppressors will start to change. Maybe it's the safest neighborhood and the best schools. That's what will give my kids the best opportunity. The right amount of world travel or sexual romance. Ultimately, are the desires from within running your life. Every little thing that you want, that you wake up in the morning and you hope for the day, the plans that you have three, five, ten years from now, the things that you envision other people doing in and around you, the way others are living their life, all the plans that you have, the desires that you have, are they coming from within you? And are you fighting to make everything go the way you want it to? I don't know about you, but I tend to grow in this when things are unstable. Which over this last year and a half has probably been the most unstable most of us have found ourselves in. I want to control a little bit more. I want to correct a little bit more. I want to see things happen because I feel like everything is out of control. Everything is predictable, but I want certainty. So the Wanda within you. James gives us a couple litmus tests here. He says in verses 11 and 12, Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. Key point here. There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy, but you. Who are you to judge your neighbor? I love the message version from Eugene Peterson says this, God is in charge of deciding human destiny. Who do you think you are to meddle in the destiny of others? Dietrich Bonhoeffer, those who allow their own desire to become their God must inevitably hate other human beings who stand in their way and impede their designs. When we lose control, when others don't agree with us, when it seems nobody else is living out the way that you think they should be living, the things that they should be doing, how do you tend to respond? Do you get frustrated and blame others because the things that you want aren't happening? Maybe you get envious and ridicule others because it's their fault, and if you continue to bypass things to them, it's actually not your fault that things are falling apart. Do you get judgmental and manipulate other people? 
man, if I can just find a way that they could change or do what I think they should do. And here, I think what James is saying is, we are not to put ourselves in the place of God, but to seek God in the place that we are. We are not to put ourselves in the place of God, but to seek God in the place that we are. So in this vision for your life, the hopes, the wishes, the dreams, the plans, which aren't all bad in and of themselves, are you playing God or are you seeking God? He continues in verses 13 and 14, Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Now, it's been less and less, but I can remember growing up here in the Central Valley, especially out in the country, and we would have fog. Depending on where you live, it's different in the city and and the outskirts. Some of the, the, the larger regions around us definitely experience it more. But what used to happen is foggy day school schedules. Like the thing you prayed for when the fog came around is like, I know the bus is not going to come get me. It's too dangerous for my parents to drive. Can't this fog just stay here all day? Can it stay here all week? And that was the best. But always around like 1030, all was clear, which meant that you had to go to school. It's the worst. Never lasted long enough. Never. But this fog, this, this mist, it comes and it goes. It does not stay long. And there's two ways we can read this. One is that our life is but a vapor. We have our life for a short time and then we do not. James could be saying, what are you doing with your life? How are you finding meaning and importance and belonging? How is your life growing in loving union with God? How is your life a blessing and a gift to others? What he also could be saying is, where are you putting your weight? Where are you putting your plans? Where are you putting your hopes and your dreams and the things that you're aspiring for? Because the reality is, the things that we most naturally want to accumulate, riches and wealth, the life that we want to see from within, the, ones, the things that we desire most, a curated life that makes sense for us, where we have health and long life and long walks on the beach and wine nights. and I mean, so many things you go on and on and on. Where are you putting your plans? Because the reality is they are going to fade just like the fog at 1030 and you got to go back to school. So, I think a part of this that I realized, that I felt convicted about, is in my plans and my hopes and my desires, how much of it is attached to privilege? How much is it attached to I feel healthy? I have some financial security. I feel like I can navigate the world to where I'm going to do okay. And that looks different for everyone. I'm talking as a white male, and that means so many different things for so many different people. But if you know this, in the U.S., everyone here, I would believe, worldly falls in the group of the elite. We have so much. And I wonder if privilege is attached to how much we have, how much we want, and sometimes how much we feel like we don't have. 
we were in Haiti a number of years ago with an uh, organization called Vapor, um, which I've fallen in love with. And uh, in Africa and Haiti, and they're, they're doing more, they build uh, soccer facilities. Um, so they, they build essentially the sport of the culture that is there to bring jobs and clean water. Um, and we got to go hang out with them for a number of days in one of their centers in Haiti. And one thing we got to do when we had some free time is actually go out into the neighborhood. And uh, we weren't in the, the, the heart of the city, but each neighborhood had certain street vendors. Essentially for them, for the people in Haiti, where two-thirds are living less, on less than $2 a day, the street vendors have what they have to sell that day in hopes that they make enough to where they can have dinner. That night. Not the grocery store for the week. You can get stocked up on a Costco run. But like, can I get enough food for tonight? Kids don't expect the next meal. They're excited when they have dinner that night. And man, if they have breakfast the next morning and that's followed by a lunch, like that's a pretty big deal. How hard is it to plan when you don't even know if you're getting dinner? How hard is it to look forward to my job security and my health and, and all the things that I am naturally desiring to protect and to, conf- to, to bring comfort and to have control, to avoid pain? How much of it is because I have privilege? That I actually can look forward. And how much of that privilege is driving your plans? If we brought it closer to home, those that live in Tower District and in Fresno at large in our Central Valley immigrant families who do not know if their dad is going to come home that day. That he could be thrown in the back of a van with ice, and ice doesn't even notify the family that their breadwinner is being deported. They can't even plan beyond next week. Is our planning attached to privilege? Your vision for life, the plans, the ambitions, the aspirations you have, have they outpaced God or are you offering them to God? James says in verse 15 to close out here, or almost, instead you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. You probably know the phrase, Lord willing. James here in this passage, what he's doing essentially is he's directing our attention to the Lord's wishes. And it's not to render us passive, where we just sit around and just, okay, God, if you have a plan, I'm just going to sit here, I'm going to wait for that plan. We're not not rendered passive or incapable of planning or moving forward, but it's so that we actually align our actions with what God is doing in the world. We align our actions, our plans, our hopes, our ambitions, our dreams, everything that we're looking forward to, we align it with what God is doing in the world. I mentioned uh, Neighborhood Industries last week. We're going to have AP with us here in a couple Sundays. Um, but they are a nonprofit uh, here in Tower, Neighborhood Industries. They have a thrift store. Uh, but you would maybe know that their recycling center, 30,000 square feet, just burnt down a couple weeks ago. Cut fire and everything in it. What it equates to essentially is about $300,000 worth of product just up in flames, gone. Now, Neighborhood's mission is to provide paychecks for people who otherwise could not get paychecks have barriers to employment. They're actually the second largest employer for those that have barriers to employment here in Fresno. 
What's happened since then is not only did they lose $300,000 of product, but because that product isn't turning over, they're losing about $2,000 a day. What that equates to is less paychecks in people's pockets. But it was interesting, as I talked to AP a few days afterwards, we were on the phone, and I asked him, hey man, how are you doing? And he said this, he goes, you know what? In spite of everything, I'm doing pretty good. Every day, we're just trying to do some stuff with some things. And now, we just do it with less stuff. And there was something about that that was so grounding. Because how often does how we're feeling today, how we're doing right now in this moment, have to do with all the things and the stuff that are around us? All the cares of the world that we otherwise may not even know about if we live somewhere else. But he was able to just shift. There's a few things that people talk about um, in regard to resilience. So interviews have been done with so many people after massive traumas, uh, whether it be natural catastrophes, deaths in families, so many different things. And after interviews, they notice things who people who have a high resilience to continue moving forward in life. They have a positive, realistic outlook. They have a moral compass. They have a belief in something greater than themselves. They are altruistic, meaning they have concerns for others and a degree of selflessness. They accept what they cannot change and focus energy on what they can change. They have a mission, a meaning, and a purpose. And they have a social support system. I don't know what else defines church (laughs) in other terms out of the survey than that. That is so much of life with God that we have a life that is beyond the plans that are falling apart around us that we did not account for. We have life beyond the things that are out of our control. Because I believe AP's statement comes out of a place that he has a mission. And it's altruistic and it's for others and it's outside of themselves and they're going to keep doing the same thing they can with whatever they have. Lord willing, what are the plans you have right now? It's like, man, here's some things. God, what do you think? God, what do you want to do with these things? Like, part of this is coming within me. I have these hopes and dreams and ambitions, but what do you have for my life? At the heart of this chapter 4, in chapter 6, it says this, but he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says, God opposed the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. James, man, he just goes after it. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Now, if I could just cut through that with a single statement that I would hope we all hear this morning. You are not in the place of God, but you are in the grace of God. You are not in the place of God. You do not own your life. You do not control everything in and around you. The good news is you don't have to. You can let go. You can open up your hands and you can receive the grace that God has for you. Where you feel like things are falling apart, where you have no control, where there is strife and break, where there is grief and loss. I mean, you just keep going and going and going. 
you don't have to run rampant trying to fix it. Because if you're trying to play God in your life, that means you are creating enemies with others. There's just no way around it. You are not in the place of God, but you are in the grace of God. And I think that's good news. I think it is good news because this grace looks like Jesus. I'm going to invite the ministry team forward uh, as we kind of close out. And we're going to do something together. Um, this grace for your life. God has poured out in, in the person of Jesus. Like the greatest demonstration of love for us. And there's so much that in this, as we celebrate communion, to remember the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, that he has paid so much on our behalf. And in this life with God, in this life with Jesus, we can actually open up our hands and trust in Colossians 1.17 that says that he holds all things together. He is in and has gone before all things. I don't have to figure everything out. I don't have to have this perfect curated world and family around me. Because I think when we do that, when everything is going right and well and to plan, not only do problems inevitably come, but we miss out on this verse 8 where it says, come near to God and he will come near to you. And I want to move into ministry time on that. Like for those of you that are here this morning, that you need the nearness of God in your life right now. That might just be a simple distance. You feel distant from God. But that might also be that your heart is torn in half. That your soul is so heavy and you just don't even know how to move forward. You have zero clarity. You have no control. Everything is unpredictable and it feels like you're standing on sifting sand. If we open ourselves up to receive this grace of God as we come near to him, it says that he will come near to us. Oftentimes that looks different than how we plan and how we want. So why don't we go ahead and stand? And we're going to do one thing and then I'm just going to call a couple things out and then we're going to respond. So 2,000 years ago, Jesus gave his disciples a prayer. They said, Jesus, teach us how to pray, which was common practice for a rabbi and his disciples. And this prayer, <laughs> so layered, so good, um, my gosh. But I believe this is one of the great, greatest ways in which we can just release everything that we are planning and hoping and desiring and just open ourselves up to God. And this is why this can be a daily prayer, an hourly prayer, one that when you wake up, one when you go to sleep, one when you enter a meeting, one when you start to stress about planning, whatever it is. And it brings all of us together. It goes like this. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. 
and forgive us our trespasses and we forgive those who have trespassed against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. And a powerful add-on, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. That is a prayer that says, God, I have no control of my life. Things may or may not be falling apart right now. I have these plans and ambitions and desires and things are going well, but I don't want to play God. Because he says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Do you trust that the things he has planned for you is better than what you can plan?